coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And after uh, limping through all of last week with uh, what the doctor told me, by the way, was just allergies and probably a nasty cold. No COVID. No COVID. Uh, here I am. And hopefully you'll get a full week of the Ron Show. Fingers crossed. Trust me, if you don't, it's only because something is really just whipping my tail. But uh, by and large, for the most part, as I come to you today, uh, I'm just dealing with the uh, you know the sinus stuff. Uh, everything else is kind of fine. Like uh, I even weaned myself off the Robitussin over the weekend. Like that was my nighttime go to bed, you know, nip of the nip of the sauce kind of thing. Good sleep, by the way. Mmm, good sleep. But uh, I've kind of weaned myself off of that and uh, just deal with an antihistamine and some Flonase first thing in the morning, which I know doesn't sound like it's working, but it's actually kind of working. I also have a mute button so I can cough, and uh, when you hear those pregnant pauses in conversation, that's exactly what that is. Just me clearing my throat, getting a little cough out so you don't hear. Because <laughs> you don't want to hear that, right? Hang on. Just doing that for you so that you can hear what I'm dealing with caused me to need to do more. All right, so as we enter the week, everybody on the left, uh, center left, moderate left, maybe even in the center, just kind of rubbing their hands together, waiting for these indictments, right? Because uh, the former president of the United States announced over the weekend on his truth social that uh, he expects to be arrested over the weekend. Uh, let's see. I'll read you these two truth social tweets. Are they tweets? Or are they just truth social posts? Yeah, I'll leave that for others to argue. Our nation is now third world and dying. The American dream is dead. The radical left anarchists have stolen two else, our presidential election and with it the heart of our country. American patriots are being arrested and held in captivity like animals while criminals and leftist thugs are allowed to roam the streets killing and burning with no retribution. Millions are flooding through our open borders. He spelled with an A. Many from prisons and mental institutions. Crime and inflation are destroying our very way of life. Now illegal leaks from a corrupt and highly political Manhattan District Attorney's Office, which has allowed new records to be set in violent crime, and whose leader is funded by George Soros, indicate that, with no crime being able to be proven, and based on an old and fully debunked by numerous other prosecutors fairy tale, the far and away leading Republican candidate and former President of the United States of America will be arrested on Tuesday of next week. Protest. Take our nation back. The former President of the United States just called for protests. Uh, I mean, he didn't say it'll be wild. I don't know that that necessarily lines up with him calling for violent protests, but he did call for protests. Okay. Peaceful protests would have been nice. I'm sure you could have squeezed that word in. Peaceful. Peaceful. I'm sure he marinated on whether or not to add that word or not. But I don't know. People are saying. I'm hearing. Uh, a video he also shared over the weekend. Poor thing. 
These four horrible, radical left Democrat investigations of your all-time favorite president, me, <laughs> is just a continuation of the most disgusting witch hunt in the history of our country. It's gone on forever with Russia, 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 Russia. and Ukraine, 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 and the Mueller <laughs> hoax. It's an absolute disgrace what's going on. They even spied on my campaign. And remember this, with all of the work that they did on Mueller, no collusion. That's what the answer was, was all no collusion. Whether it's the Mar-a-Lago raid or the unselect committee hoax, the perfect Georgia phone call, it was absolutely perfect. <laughs> or the stormy horse-faced Daniels wow. extortion plot. They're all sick. And it's fake news. Our enemies are desperate to stop us because they know that we are the only ones who can stop them. And they know it very strongly. And they're looking at the polls where, not me, but we are up by so much. They can't even believe it. We won twice, and now we've got to win a third time. Right. They know that we can defeat them. They know that we will defeat them. But they're not coming after me. They're coming after you. Mm. I'm just standing in their way, and I always will stand in their way. Thank you very much. And by the way, his Truth Social timeline, just littered with, if you can donate, I'd really appreciate you donate. If you're doing poorly, as many of you are, he'd say, do not send anything. If you're doing well, hang on, let me, let me channel him again. If you're doing well, which was made possible through the great policies of the Trump administration, send your contributions to donaldjtrump.com. We have to take back our country and make America great again. Uh, meanwhile, here in Atlanta, Fulton County, uh, Donald Trump's attorneys are asking that a judge disqualify the Fulton District Attorney's Office from overseeing the investigation according to, according to a new court filing. He's asked uh, the same judge to toss the special purpose grand jury's final report and evidence by saying, President Donald J. Trump hereby moves to quash the special purpose grand jury's report and preclude the use of any evidence derived therefrom as it was conducted under an unconstitutional statute through an illegal and unconstitutional process and by a disqualified district attorney's office who violated prosecutorial standards and acted with disregard for the gravity of the circumstances and the constitutional rights of those involved. So this motion to quash the grand jury's work and disqualify uh, D.A. Fonnie Willis' office from pursuing any charges in the case is Donald's first effort to intervene in this really long investigation con conducted by Fonnie Willis and her office. It, it, it sort of indicates this uh, aggressive approach that Trump's attorneys are, are going to take to fight any charges that he may be facing. Although what we're expecting to come down soonest seems to be coming from the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. Uh, CNN, by the way, is reporting that Fonnie Willis' office is considering bringing up racketeering and conspiracy charges. No comment from the DA's office on uh, those reports or the filing by Trump's attorneys. Here's the point where I remind you, by the way, that innocent people don't use legal maneuverings to shield information from going public or from making its way into uh, either a courtroom or the court of public opinion during the Mueller investigation that your favorite former president 
brought up in his video, there was a lot of executive privilege used to keep people from testifying at all, even folks who may have wanted to testify. The office of the U.S. presidency is a hell of a defense mechanism, one that only 46 people to date have had the opportunity to ever utilize if they so needed. You can literally stay in office, not comply with any investigations into you. Whether the investigations go on or not is quite another matter, but you don't have to cough up much of anything via testimony, via evidence. If your lawyers, or in Trump's case, the attorney generals and the Department of Justice, I mean, he literally turned the attorney general's office into his attorney's office while under investigation, most of his presidency. You can use all those mechanisms to dodge being found guilty. The whole Russia, Russia, Russia thing, folks want to point to that like, uh, see, there was no collusion. No, 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 no. It was impossible to prove there was collusion, in large part due to the rampant obstructionism via executive privilege that the Donald Trump presidency used. The Ukrainian perfect call to Zelensky, same thing. Even right now, while out of office, he's claiming executive privilege to shield investigators at every turn he can. The files in Mar-a-Lago, executive privilege. Those were magically classified. I just waved my little finger. What? I don't know why I'm telling you this. You're not fooled by any of his nonsense. Most of his own acolytes, they're not even fooled by it. But they don't mind employing these tactics to help him evade ever facing the music. To me, what's most fascinating is watching Ron DeSantis kind of tap dance between sort of sparring with Trump on the one hand, but also toting the party line about the Soros-backed DAs at the same time. Listen to this. I don't know what goes into paying hush money to a porn star to, to secure silence over <laughs> some type of alleged affair. I just, I can't speak to that. See, that's when DeSantis had been asked by a reporter from the Florida Standard what his thoughts were on the rumored Trump indictment, if he had any role in it. And if charges were brought against Trump, would DeSantis have any role in extradition to New York since Trump is now a Florida resident? I've seen rumors swirl. I have not seen any facts uh, yet, and so I don't know what's going to happen. But I do know this. The, the Manhattan district attorney is a Soros-funded prosecutor. Mm. And so he, like other Soros-funded prosecutors, they weaponize their office to impose a political agenda on society at the expense of the rule of law and public safety. The dude who just used his office to take over Disney World because Disney's too woke wants to talk about district attorneys weaponizing their office to impose a political agenda. Seriously, dude? Uh, anyhow, reporters wanted to know, so if the DA indicts him, and Trump's in Florida, will you help extradite him? We are not involved in this, won't be involved in this. Uh, I have no interest in getting involved in some type of manufactured circus by some Soros DA, okay? He's trying to do a political spectacle. I mean, that sounds like the answer is no, right? Doesn't that sound like the answer is no? There'll be no complicity from the Florida governor's office to extradite Donald Trump if he 
were to be charged by the Manhattan District Attorney? It sounds like a no to me. Another opportunity for Donald Trump to have somebody obstruct justice brought against him. What a charmed life that guy's lived, right? And make no mistake, Ron DeSantis is having to tap dance a little bit because it was over the weekend that he and uh, former Secretary of State and former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley had been called out by Trump's campaign guy, Jason Miller. Radio silence from Governor Ron DeSantis and Ambassador Nikki Haley, Jason Miller said, while praising Vice President Mike Pence. Oh my God, Mike Pence. Will those pair ever come in for you, dude? Will they ever drop? As is always, I will tell my liberal friends, my progressive friends, don't hold your breath. Don't believe it's going to happen until you see it happening. More Ron Show on America One Radio after this. Take the Ron Show wherever you go. Download the America One Radio app to your smartphone and listen on the go. Or in traffic wishing you were on the go. The Ron Show on America One Radio. Uh, So here we are, uh, day 36 of 40 in the legislative calendar. Uh, No action today on SB 140, the uh, measure to restrict uh, parents of trans youth and trans youth from getting any gender-affirming care beyond puberty blockers. Uh, Anyway, so that, that means that there are four more days for this to get acted on. It's supposed to go to the Senate tomorrow for a vote before eventually going to Brian Kemp's desk for passage and signature, or signature and passage, uh, if he so chooses to do so. Uh, he gave an address earlier today uh, inside uh, the uh, the state capitol under the Gold Dome and was surrounded by uh, protesters of uh, SB 140. Not sure if the message got through to him or not, but I would implore you to keep dropping your emails and calling the governor's office and implore that he refuse to sign that bill. Mark Cannon, by the way, there were so many fantastic uh, floor speeches given uh, last week, uh, even in in weeks leading up to it. Park Cannon, by the way, gave an impassioned speech that I just felt compelled I had to share uh, with anyone who didn't get a chance to hear this. I know deeply the people who this bill will impact. They're the same people who have called and emailed you and have gotten no responses. It's not right. We don't even have a single transgender elected official in the state house or senate, and yet we're setting policy. In the senate, we have someone who has a transgender child, and we did not listen to her on this bill. We all received this letter. 500 medical professionals who have said that they are opposed to this bill. This impacts their practice. But in the committee instead, one person of medical experience spoke who does not serve any gender-affirming clients. Zero she could not speak to. What's going to be the impact of this bill? I want to show you. Do you know what this is? These are black market drugs for gender-affirming care. 
This is what parents will have to start giving their children. Similar to the THC issue we had here, where we were all so concerned about parents trying to help their kids through medical instances who needed support, instead of having to travel state lines, go on the black market, order, and get it in black bags, this, you have to break this. It is glass. It can be contaminated easily. You then have to inject with this. This is what we should be giving our students, our kids, that need the support past the hormone blockers. This is given by a provider, a supportive provider. It has a prescription. It has information about what it does. Not this. The critical flaw in all of this legislative process is just that you have one side that's listening to science and listening to doctors and listening to experts and listening to constituents, the affected constituents. And then you have another side that has chosen who they're going to believe from their cherry-picked sources, and that's it. They're immovable. Once they've heard from who they want to hear from and what they want to hear from them, it doesn't matter what... 500 experts, dozens of constituents who have children specifically impacted by this legislation. Doesn't matter what they have to say. And because they draw state legislative lines, they can draw themselves into the majority for another 10 years as they have, or at least through the end of this decade as they have. And they still have a likely popular vote majority in this state. I've said all along, Georgia's not a blue state. It's not a purple-blue state. It's a purple-red state. Jeff Graham and the folks at Georgia Equality, by the way, I mean, just almost literally camping out each day at the state house today with more than 100 clergy members from various religious factions echoing their support for the trans community. Uh, action in the House that did make its way through uh, SB 44, uh, passing mostly along party lines, this new law would create mandatory five-year prison sentences for gang-related offenses, would also add another five years to a conviction of recruiting a minor or disabled person for gang-related activity. I'm all for minimizing gang recruitment of the underaged and the mentally disabled. One of the ways I think that you can mitigate that is by ensuring there is maximum familial involvement in that child's life which would mean reducing the sort of tactics like profiling and mandatory minimum sentencing that disproportionately affects people of color and specifically men of color who, while in prison, can't be the sort of role model that their child or their nephew or their grandchild needs. And hey, listen, Democrats have been right there in the late 1990s when it came to mandatory minimums at the federal level. It's something that Joe Biden, then candidate for president of the United States in 2020, had to answer to the Congressional Black Caucus endorsing it. The thing is, not only are mandatory minimums not a deterrence to crime, they are disproportionately more harmful to communities of color. In 2015, John Oliver's HBO show last week tonight addressed just that. Drugs have hurt people, for sure. But the mandatory minimum sentencing laws designed to stop them have done way more harm than good, particularly to certain populations. 
In 2010, nearly three-quarters of federal drug offenders sentenced under mandatory minimums were black or Hispanic. They, they affect minorities the way that hockey injuries affect white people. <laughs> not, not entirely, but disproportionately. <laughs> and now, if you don't think a law designed to target gang activity is going to be high-density, urban, community-centric, ignoring that gang activity exists in a lot of red counties and a lot of rural red counties, well, then you're just naive. I grew up in the suburbs, the rural suburbs, actually, like in a county that was a bedroom community, but the half of the county I lived in was mostly rural. There were definitely gangs of white guys in my middle and high school, and there was definitely drug activity between them and some coordination and distribution among them. So let's all sit back and watch and see if SB 44 is less discriminatory than its mandatory minimum predecessors. We'd all like to get rid of gang activity and criminal gang activity in specifics. Educational and economic opportunity is what eliminates crime. Nothing in SB 44 addresses that. More Ron Show on America One Radio next. Follow The Ron Show on Twitter at RonShowATL. The Ron Show on America One Radio. I have said this any number of times. I am not an economist, right? <laughs> I am, however, a realtor with the XP Realty here in Atlanta, Georgia. If you uh, have questions about interest rates, what it's going to do to affect your potentially listing your home, or if you're looking to get into the purchase end of it, trust me, I do know a lot of answers to that. And if I don't know the answers from uh, a fiscal point of view, an economical point of view, then I do have folks that I go to that can answer these questions. Uh, in fact, I, I reached out to my friend Brian with Apogee Financial a few days ago to ask him about the, the whole banking scenario and you know well, what's going on with that and should anybody be nervous about that? And he basically said, no, no, we, we, you, th these are specialized banks that... We're doing some pretty specialized, nefarious stuff with money that wasn't theirs in the first place. But eh, you put your money in a bank, uh, a, sp a specific bank like a like a Silicon Valley bank that is leveraging other folks' money with some high yield but high risk stuff. You you can't be too upset when the the high risk means the risk outweighed the reward. In any event, the, 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 the banking unease actually has done something that I think the Fed now has to go, uh, we weren't expecting that. Yeah, so while the Fed keeps trying to inch up interest rates, which I've never understood how this actually helps the economy, helps inflation, uh, they've been trying to inch up interest rates, I guess, to get consumers, you and I, to stop putting money on our credit cards because those rates will keep climbing up and we'll go, oh, oh, I don't, I don't want to keep spending that kind of money on interest to keep living the lifestyle that I've gotten used to living. Remember now, the COVID stimulus gave us that lifestyle we're used to living. <laughs> it wasn't at all about surviving, keeping your lights on, keeping food in the uh, pantry when you weren't going to work. No, that, it was, it was to, uh, to give us the opulent lifestyle to which we were accustomed. I, I'm trying to remember which $2,000 check was supposed to do that. Nonetheless, because you have these white-collared, you know, six-figure-plus 
uh, folks making these decisions uh, inside the Fed and uh, the, these uh, CNBC, you know, screaming wonks, uh, these former Treasury folks uh, like the Larry Summers types. By the way, if, you, if you're not watching The Problem with Jon Stewart on Apple TV+, Plus, you're totally missing out. I'll, I'll give you some of that uh, here in a little bit. Uh, uh, John and Larry Summers going back and forth about who has to have the pain inflicted on them in order for inflation to be eased, right? So the bank failure situation, and there's, you know, been two or three banks across the country and around the world uh, that have now given the Fed pause to continue inching up interest rates. And because of that, now mortgage interest rates are back around like 6%, some a little below, some a little above, depending on the kind of mortgage loan you'd be looking for. So this could be a good time for you to purchase a home. And here we are, you know, of course, in spring. Spring and summer are the hot season in most markets because folks are looking for houses and to be in their new houses before the kid goes back to school in late August. And by the way, now it's like early August. When I was a kid, it was like late August, early September. What's happening? What's happening with like the evisceration of summer vacation? I mean, listen, I, I believe in a, a, a full-year calendar, honestly. Uh, we we got to get rid of, rid of daylight savings. Let's just, just stick just stick with what we got now. And uh, year-round schooling. I'm totally for year-round schooling. Uh, a number of studies indicate that uh, kids lose uh, a lot of what they've learned over a three-month period where they're away from textbooks and teachers. But, uh, okay, that's another debate for another uh, show. What I'm, what I'm going to get back to, though, is that right now, interest rates are probably in a pretty good place. And listen, there are financial institutions. I have friends in the lending business who can help you reduce that rate by 3% in the first year, 2% in the next, 1% in the next. And even by then, you've seen the fluctuation in interest rates just in the last like 18 months, right? I mean, we, we went from like historic lows to what people are freaking out about now, which honestly, when you look in the last 20, 30 years, they're not bad now. Um, but even, you know, if, if you take the, the, the three, two, one scenario, by the time yours is down to two or 1%, you could probably refinance depending on where the rates are. Then you just never know what's going to, what's going to be around the corner. Um, but I just find it interesting that the answer is always inflict pain on the consumers, bail out the white collar folks who can't ever seem to learn their lessons, Right. The 2007-2008 bank crisis, you would think we learned our lesson. And then we rolled in some pretty strict banking regulations. Uh, the Obama administration swept in, of course, won, won an election in the heat of that banking and, and financial meltdown. And with the political uh, capital that they had and some fortitude in Washington, we're able to put in some measures, some breaks, some protective measures to keep the banking industry from doing what it did. And then, of course, because, of course, once uh, the right got back into the White House, the Trump administration rolled back some of these regulations. A lot of Dodd-Frank was detoothed. That term. Uh, and so here we are again, a lot of, a lot of breaks and a lot of... Uh, a lot of guardrails gone. You've got banks wobbly again, getting away with doing, or not even getting away with, but doing 
some of that highly speculative stuff that got us into the mess we were in in 2007-2008. And so we're again looking at a scenario where where why is it that we the people have to bail out these tech startups and these folks who are gambling on derivatives and but 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 our taxpayer money's got to go to to bail them out it, there was a there was a case to be made in in fact in in the episode i was watching with uh uh the problem with john stewart where i mean he rightly points out you can look at these last two bailout scenarios 2007 2008 we gave uh nearly a, a billion dollars well actually more more I mean, i'm sorry more than a trillion dollars to the banking industry to bail them out and the rebound was slow and prolonged over years. It looks like a it looks like the Nike swoosh. You have that huge dip and then a slow crawl back up. Whereas when COVID came in and the economy, the global economy was shut down, the federal government raced to get stimulus money into your pockets instead of filtered through what what I call trickling down from on high. And the response was immediate. And the economy has essentially spiked back to where it was in short order because a rising tide lifts all boats, right? You give money to people, and I mean, this is a discussion for universal basic income even. I mean, you could talk about that with, with the advent of AI and uh, technology and automation. Should, should there be a universal basic income? I mean, that's, that is a wonky discussion for wonkier minds and wonkier shows and podcasts, trust me. Uh, I mean, I'd, I'm, I'd, I'd love to have a conversation about this. I'd love to Q&A somebody who really knows what they're talking about on that because I, it, it, it makes you wonder if we're getting to a point in time where a universal basic income might be suitable. But the point is, you give money to people, people are going to spend it. And where are they going to spend it? They're going to spend it at retail, which is owned by corporations. Corporations, of course, they love to make profits. They buy and sell goods, and they move those goods through our transportation system, which is another industry in and of itself which utilizes another industry in and of itself, the energy sector, right? And those retail outlets and you and I living in our homes, they hit up the, the energy sector. It's, whereas if you give the money to the well-off, what have they done? They do what they always do. They hold on to it. They hoard it. Anyway, let me give you a little taste of the uh, back and forth with uh, John Stewart and uh, former Treasury Secretary uh, Larry Summers from... Uh, last week's The Problem with John Stewart when they were talking about inflation. What basically happened to us is we had massive stimulus and an economy that could only produce so much. We had huge levels of demand and those huge levels of demand kept pushing up prices and pushing up wages. But ultimately it was, uh, you put too much water in the bathtub, the bathtub overflows. You put too much demand into uh, the economy and you get high and rising uh, prices. But the San Francisco Fed says that is 
Demand is maybe 30 to 35 percent of the inflation. Wages are really around 20 percent of the inflation. There's a huge corporate profit aspect to it. There's a huge supply chain aspect to it. But our method for controlling it seems really much more focused on wages and employment. There's certain sicknesses you can have where there's a drug and it has side effects. And everybody hates the side effects and no doctor wants their patient to suffer the side effects. But if you don't address the sickness, you're gonna have a bigger problem down the road. But the stock market assets have gone up 150%. CEO pay has gone up 1,500%. Workers' wages haven't gone up at all. I think you're misdiagnosing the sickness. First, John, inequality is a terrible thing. Mm. The most serious problem the American economy has has been the cleavages between those like you and me who are very fortunate. That's why we need a strategy of strengthening uh, labor power uh, in the economy. The question, though, is, is it an issue that somebody whose control is over setting interest rates and printing money can do much about? Now, you could say Boom. that they shouldn't have responded to the 2009 recession Boom by again. cutting money. Yes. By cutting interest rates. You could say that. Yes, but you could. Do you really think, and certainly that wasn't what progressives they, were saying at that time. It doesn't matter. At that matter. time, progressives were saying, we need lower interest rates so people can borrow money to buy houses and put people to work. But they were, we need they were lower stimulating interest rates it for car at loans. the corporate level, where they just put the money in the hands of the bankers and say, you decide. Mm -hmm. This pandemic was the first time the government, in my opinion, did the thing that they're supposed to do in a crisis. When you look at the stimulus payments that went out, you know, 70% of it was being used for rent and food. And if you look at the recovery in the pandemic versus the recovery from 2008, when you stimulated the economy at the demand level, jobs had plunged in the pandemic, and then they shot back up. The recovery in 2009 was painstaking, but the stock market did great. Yep. So our fiscal policy and our monetary policy has always been on the side of corporate easing. Just, just so we're clear, if you, yes. if you talk to African-American voters, if you talk to Hispanic voters, talk to voters who don't have college degrees, they regard the country's biggest problem as having to do with uh, inflation. Mm -hmm. So while you may see this as having been tremendously uh, successful, our fellow Americans who don't live as comfortably as you and I do have a lot of questions, John, about what's happened. And it's not hard to understand why they have a lot of that. questions well, then, in light well, of what's happened right. to their purchasing power. But you're suggesting their purchasing power. Because we took a good idea power. and overdid it. I disagree. By providing I just disagree. for too much uh, so inflation. But what you're not addressing is not all of inflation was stimulus. The tools that we have, though, are basically saying to somebody, everyone's paying more for gas and groceries, and that's really hard. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to throw 10 million of them out of work so that we all don't have to share that burden. Why aren't we attacking corporate profit in Bingo. any way? Because that's been estimated to be 30% of inflation. That part. 40% of inflation. Oh. I don't think it's a tenable view that all of a sudden corporations became greedy. 
Of course there's monopolies in the economy, John, and we should be for They've been much bragging more about it on much their more earnings calls. Than we were. We're, they're, they're, on their earnings calls, they're saying our profits have never been higher. We're killing it. The markups during the pandemic are sometimes they're saying 70% of what they were. If there was a huge increase in the demand for shrewd television commentary, I imagine the demand for what you do would go way up. And I imagine you convert that into higher wages and getting more and getting paid better. You're saying it's the market at work. I don't think you'd call yourself a gouger um, when you. I would uh, absolutely call myself a gouger. When you did that. Um, And by the way, the effect of uh, the talk show business is very different than the effect of ExxonMobil, right? I mean, let's be fair. Isn't this show going to be on Apple TV? Correct. And I think Apple TV is worth about five times as much as Exxon. I think Apple's price since the stimulus began, Apple's value has gone up by about $1.2 trillion. Right. That's $4,000 for every American just an increase in the value of uh, Apple. You just made my point for me. Do you feel that Apple is somehow gouging or doing something wrong? Yes, of course. And Exxon is, and Mobile is. Let's talk about Apple. Let's talk about Apple. Do you you think Apple should just sell phones for less and not have enough phones? What would you have Apple, what would you have Apple do? You're saying to me, John, Market forces are market forces. And if demand goes up, are you suggesting, young man, that Apple should charge less than they could charge? Let me flip that on you. When there's a tightness in the labor market, what you're saying is the workers shouldn't do the same. That the workers, just following the same capitalistic principles that allow Apple to charge more for their phones, shouldn't charge more because wage inflation is driving inflation. That's not at all what I'm saying, John. That's exactly what you're saying. Actually, it isn't. By the way, that is Obama Labor Secretary Larry Summers. And yes, he was avoiding the fact that profit is 40% of the inflation problem. Want to be on the show? Have a cause or campaign you'd like to speak up for? Email Ron at ronshowatl.com or call 404-919-2725. The Ron Show on America One Radio. Man, anytime you're sitting there thinking, wow, am I reading this right? Like, is this a good thing that a Republican is doing? You can always just sit back and wait to find out how they're going to benefit from the good thing that you think they're doing. Uh, earlier in the day, Greg Bluestein, beat writer at the AJC, tweeted that uh, Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones is promoting a measure that would pave the way for more hospitals to be built in smaller counties as part of a pending overhaul of health care rules that could financially benefit his family's business. And then uh, later on, you see an infographic that... Uh, points to a parcel of land in Butts County, Georgia, where Bert's dad, Bill Jones, has a company that owns some land that would potentially be used for a rural hospital in Butts County. Uh, the infographic, uh, Bill Jones, the father of Lieutenant Governor Bert Jones, has assembled parcels next to the River Park development in Butts County through his company, Interstate Health Systems, LLC. Some local and state healthcare officials believe that the River Park development could become the site of a new hospital. 
which could benefit the Jones family financially. <laughs> uh, renderings uh, obtained by the AJC, uh, just tweeted here like about an hour ago, uh, from Butts County, depict a hospital campus on parcels owned by Bill Jones' company. The lieutenant governor's office, however, said land hasn't been designated for the hospital project. Okay. The legislation in question, by the way, is SB 99. It's a bill that would uh, allow construction of new hospitals in counties of fewer than 50,000 people without having to meet what's known as a certificate of need from state regulators, even if they're close to existing hospitals. Some existing hospitals, according to the AJC, oppose the measure, saying it could endanger struggling hospitals that serve their communities. Just seems a little convenient, right? That there's some family land ownership that would directly benefit from a particular project in Butts County. Uh, okay, I mean, listen, keep an open mind on this. Can we put in the, can we write an amendment in the bill that uh, no one currently in state office or relative of someone in state office can benefit in any way financially from this measure? Let's see how fast we can work towards that. All right, I got about five minutes left in today's show, and I limped out of here Friday just getting through uh, the mandatory minimums, if you will, for uh, what I can do when it talked about uh, today's inspiring women on the calendar. It is Women's History Month, and I did not dive in. In fact, I didn't have time. I think that's what it was. Did not have time left on the show to dive into uh, the weekend's inspiring women. It was on Saturday's date uh, that Bonnie Blair, a speed skater and five-time Olympic gold medalist, was born in the year 1964. Uh, it was on Saturday's date in 1933 that Unita Blackwell, an American civil rights activist and the first black woman mayor elected in Mississippi, was born in Lula, Mississippi. It was uh, on Saturday's date that uh, Dana Elaine Owens, known professionally by her stage name, Queen Latifah, uh, was born in 1970. Of course, she's an American rapper, songwriter, singer, and actress and producer, born on this date in the year 1970. Okay, uh, flipping the calendar to Sunday's date, March 19th. Margaret Foley, a labor organizer, suffragist, and social worker, born on Sunday's date in the year 1875. A passionate suffrage activist, Margaret Foley could would loudly confront anti-suffrage speakers at events and even made a solo balloon flight where she tossed suffragist literature from the basket Margaret, all right. And then uh, Moms Mabley, known as the funniest woman in the world. Loretta Mary Aiken, better known as Moms Mabley, was born on this date, I'm sorry, yesterday's date, in 1894. She was one of the most successful entertainers of the Black Vaudeville stage, also known as the Chitlin Circuit. All right, on to today's date. Sister Rosetta Tharp, an American singer, songwriter, guitarist, born on this day in 1915. She was a pioneer in her guitar techniques. In fact, she was among the first popular recording artists to use heavy distortion on her electric guitar. Well ahead of the rise of the electric blues movement. Again, 1915, Sister Rosetta Tharp, born. And in 1852, Harriet Beecher Stowe. Of course, the novel Uncle Tom's Cabin, published on this date, later becoming the best-selling book of the 19th century. Finally, it was on this date, March 20th, that uh, Ramona Acosta Bonuelos, 
the 34th treasurer of the United States and the first Hispanic person in that role was born on this date in 1925. She was also owner of a multi-million dollar business, Ramona's Mexican Food Products, Inc. All right, that'll do it for the Ron Show for uh, Monday, March 20th. The first, is today like the official first day of spring? And yet uh, we have a freeze warning again tonight. <laughs> oh, Atlanta. Oh, March. Uh, the weather should be nice starting tomorrow, right? Yeah. All right. Uh, anyway, that's going to do it for the Ron Show. I can't tell you enough if you don't have Apple TV Plus, and I'm not, I'm not making a dime from telling you this. I'm just telling you that uh, I, I, miss, I miss John Stewart on The Daily Show big time. And uh, you need to watch The Problem with John Stewart. Good episodes. Uh, fantastic, informative stuff. Uh, I wish more people got to see his stuff. Well, you know, everybody's excited about Ted Lasso coming back. Me too, by the way. Uh, so everybody should have Apple TV Plus, right? 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 I mean, I got it with my iPhone for, I don't know, a year or two. And I think I just pay for it now and don't even think about it. Please get it. Watch this show. Be informed. And of course... Listen to this show and stay informed as well. And listen to me as I get informed in the process because that does happen quite frequently, right? All right, uh, podcast uh, links and more if you'd like to follow the show at ronshowatl.com. Uh, and I will see you tomorrow here on the America One Radio app and AmericaOneRadio.com.